by kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? afternoon, whatever time of day it is for you, that you're listening to episode 86. 86, it's the Maxwell Smart edition of Love That <laughs> Album. Hope uh, you're going to stick around for the next hour and a half or however long it is that we decide to shoot the shit for, and that's a very apt term because it's the end of year and I am joined by the other part of the Shooting the Shit crew in episode 85 that you would have heard hopefully a couple of weeks ago. There was half the Shooting the Shit crew, being myself, Timothy Merrill, and Michael Persh. And this week we have Eric Reanimator from Ann Arbor, and we have Dr. Jeff Smith from the other side of Melbourne, actually. So it's, it's been a long time since uh, we spoke in the same room on a podcast, Jeff. I think it's too long, Mona, it's too long. Well, we're we're going to have to fix that up sometime in 2016. But anyway, welcome, gents. I will, now that I've sort of introduced you by name, let's do you know the formal introduction. So I have, as I said, I've got Jeff Smith. He puts the V into Voldemort, the H into he who shall not be named, and my fellow Bruce Springsteen fan. So uh, good morning, Jeff. Morning, Morris. Thank you for the lovely introduction. I thought you'd appreciate that. So uh, I, I guess before you know we uh, get into uh, other things I, I'd like to ask you. I know that you've gone and bought in the last week or so a, a certain Springsteen compilation. Oh, well, a reissue. Do we want to speak about that or is that possibly in your uh, list? Funnily enough, it's in my list. Oh, all right. Okay. I'm not going to make any further mention of that. We'll talk about that later. Uh, so, uh, and on the other side of the Skype channel, we have the man who makes the Love That Album shows, I think, just that extra bit better due to his album I Love segments and the dedication he shows is adding whole extra episodes with Love That Album, the compilation editions. I'm talking about Mr. Eric Reanimator. Good morning, Eric. Or good, good afternoon. Good afternoon, I should good morning. say. Yes, indeed. Quickly, I want to um, just make a discussion that you are on a recent episode of a, a podcast that we both admire, Dig Me yes. Out. Now, for those of uh, the listeners out there who don't know about Dig Me Out, give us a bit of a description as to what it is and what it is that you spoke about. Well, uh, they're a 90s music podcast, um, generally oriented towards underground and indie and alternative music. Not a lot of um, rap or R&B or really mainstream stuff like makes it on that show, although they recently did a Van Halen in the 90s roundtable. Oh, right. uh, recently, I was on an episode where we talked about movie soundtracks of the 1990s. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was a pretty good discussion. We brought out some of the, uh, the ones everybody knows and everyone thinks of. Mm-hmm. And there was a good amount of more lesser known, uh, overlooked, forgotten and uh just you know out there soundtracks that we did get around to talking about so that was a lot of fun and i think that one went really well it's good to have that balance of uh talking about things people know about so that it's accessible to people but also bringing to light things that are overlooked or forgotten or what have you so Um I'm certainly a big fan of the show and those guys, they discuss their music in a really very, very accessible way. Actually, I think it was um, one of them, I can't remember which one, had 
did uh, the recorded an episode. I think he was speaking at a maybe some podcasting convention or something like that about mm-hmm. how to put together a podcast, or at least how he puts together the uh, the Dignity show. It was an excellent episode, you know, from probably from the perspective of the newcomer, mm-hmm. and you know, even from people like myself who've been doing this now for four and a bit years, I still learned some new things from them. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, but it's a good show that they put together and always quite interesting. I mean, I'm not necessarily listening to every episode because there are some albums I think, well, that doesn't necessarily sound like an album I'd want to know about. But even there are some where I think, well, I don't know that album, but that sounds interesting. I want to hear what they have to say. And it's always done in a very accessible way. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. There's some episodes that are just not to my interest, but uh, I, I like that they've expanded to the roundtables. I think that adds a lot and um yeah i think that they're on a roll with uh with kind of getting into the uh the music of that er- excuse me of that era and uh being able to talk intelligently but able to bring interviews and roundtables in to kind of expand rather than just review 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 mm, no they uh, yeah no, definitely I, I agree that's uh the, the round table thing is uh, is definitely a good thing. I'm definitely going to have to sort of bring some more of that into Love That Album back because I think I'm missing these shooting the shit episodes, you know, beyond the uh, obvious end of year favourites that we do. So um, hopefully we'll get something of that in 2016. I was going to do something like that in 2015. I don't know. Crazy timetables and schedules didn't allow for it. But anyway, hopefully, fingers crossed, 2016 we'll have a round table because there's no shortage of music discussion topics that will uh, that will to produce some interesting material. Anyway, so if you've tuned in and you listened a couple of weeks ago to our uh, end of year faves, then uh, you'll hopefully uh, know that there'll be some more interesting discussion today. Uh, I've already given my my favourite albums of the year, so I'm basically going to turn the tables over to Jeff and to Eric to uh, illuminate you and enlighten you on favourite albums that they heard for the first time this year. In case you didn't hear the album show, or the show that we did a couple of weeks ago, the format is not necessarily favourite albums of 2015, although obviously they're not excluded, but just favourite first-time listens. It could be something that Jeff or Eric heard that was recorded 30, 40 years ago. But if they heard it for the first time this year and it floats their boat, as the expression goes, well, then it's worthy of a discussion. So what we'll do is we'll go to a quick break and then we'll come back and get this discussion started. I should also make note that we actually even have you know, one more piece of feedback. I'm looking forward to playing that for you. Uh, it's uh, MP3. Last time it was, I think, just about all written emails, but uh, we have an MP3 for you. And this episode, ran is from the host of the all-time top 10 podcast, Mr. Ben Eisen. So I'll look forward to playing that for you later in the show. But uh, anyway, so we'll just go to a quick break, get the uh, contact details out of the way, and then we'll be back to hear what uh, Jeff and Eric's favourite albums of uh, 2015 are. You're listening to Love That Album. We hope you're enjoying the show. You can get previous episodes at either lovethatalbum.podbean.com or lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or search for Love That Album in the iTunes store. If you want to get in contact, please email Morris at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash lovethatalbum and start a music-related discussion. You're about to experience... The Cultural Phenomena. What's it all about? Know what I mean? That's sweeping the nation. Oh yeah, 
It's happening. It's frightening what we've created. The Stinging Paul's podcast. I'd sooner go out and see a bleeding horror film, I said, nothing like that. A fortnightly show where we review classic and not so classic movies. A truly fine professional piece of work taking a look at some of your favourite movies of all time. I'm ready to go. I'm really ready to go. No, I'm not. You can find all our previous episodes on our website, stinkingpaws.com. I know, I know that 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 Follow us on Twitter, at stinkingpaws, or join the Facebook group. The majesty and grandeur of the English language is the greatest possession we have. And it needed something to sort of uh, give it a brush of a lure. It needed something to give it a. It needed something to give it a. Oh, I can't say. It. I can never say. I always say fresh of breath there. Brilliant. The noblest thoughts ever flow through the hearts of men are contained in its extraordinary, imaginative, and musical mixtures of sound. Probably good not to do a podcast if you can't say basic English. Yeah. Yeah. And you can also subscribe to the show at iTunes. As we said, a truly professional podcast. Yeah, they all sort of play each other off each other. Um, that's how they go. They all sort of play each other off. They play one another off. I'm not even going to go there. They, they, um, they play... They play let's give this some serious fault. They, they play one another against each other. No. Does that, that, that sound right? I don't know. <laughs> I know what you're trying to say. And we're back from break. Thanks very much for joining us for episode 86 of Love That Album, uh, the second part of our annual roundup of our favourite first-time listens of 2015. My special guest this time around, Jeff Smith and Eric Reanimator. My many thanks to both of them for uh, joining me. So we'll start off, I think, with you, Jeff, as to uh, your favourite albums of the year. So um, we'll go with what's, uh, as I said last time, not in any particular order, just your first pick for uh, albums that you love from this year. Well, I've picked, uh, it's been a weird year for me. I've hardly listened to any new stuff. Mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of the year listening to old stuff, very, very, very old stuff. Okay. I think, as we might have mentioned previously, I uh, I really discovered classical music um, oh, yes. earlier this year. I mean, I, did, I didn't discover it. People have known about it for quite some time, but uh, <laughs> I started listening to it, and for some reason, it made sense. I mean, I'd never not liked it. I just never really, you know, quite got it. Um, and for some reason, this this year, um, I had the had the classical radio station on, and I thought, oh, that's nice. What's that? And you know, I can't remember what piece it was particularly, but left the radio station, tuned in for quite a while, and you know, I now have a few recordings myself. I've got a whole heap of stuff in my iPod. Me being myself, I, I don't just dabble. I've sort of tried to immerse myself in it and, and started reading stuff and, and and actually actively learning about it. So um, hmm. I've picked a couple of items on my list for this year which are you know more representative of the the entire sort of classical music genre or oeuvre or whatever you want to call it in pretentious musical terms um <laughs> good tunes i think is uh is how i would describe them so works for me uh, 
I've picked on, on the list the first one this morning, represent classical music with Beethoven's Sixth Symphony. about nine years old all I listened to well maybe not all but most of what I listened to was classical music because it was what was in my parents record collection and apart from maybe uh, so Rimsky-Korsakov's Scheherazade and mm. Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony were my two most played records I played those to death so I'm, I'm really quite thrilled to hear that the Pastoral Symphony is one of your choices so tell us what it what was it that uh, really drew you in uh, terrific tune, or two, two, two terrific tunes for the price of one. Really, you know, the, the two, the two main themes running through the entire symphony are fantastic. You know, I guess it's one of the pieces of music that, for me, really quite easily it does evoke and makes me picture of what I, th- what I think all the critics and what I mean tell you you're supposed to hear from it. You know, it's supposed to be landscapes changing in the moving shadows and all that stuff. It actually is. Well, you understand that Beethoven wrote the Pastoral Symphony as being inspired because he used to walk in the country. I mean, we often sort of hear, well, you know, music is supposed to evoke images, but Beethoven really literally wrote this piece of music or wrote this whole symphony, which unusually is five movements rather than the usual four. In the Sixth Symphony, every movement is supposed to evoke something different. So, you know, the first movement is supposed to evoke him of arriving in the countryside and the second is you know lying under a tree and the third one is supposed to evoke being at a country fair and the fourth one is a storm and the fifth movement is after the storm and the music does that incredibly effectively uh, absolutely it's 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 weird because I, I, I was reading that I apparently wrote it at the same time as he wrote the fifth symphony mm. which you know everyone 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 knows the fifth symphony whether you, you you like classical music or not you know but and the fifth symphony and the sixth symphony are so markedly different you know the fifth symphony you know uh, he's uh, I don't know what you would say, storming the establishment with, you know, huge, huge volumes and, and, and you know, thunder and charge. And, but this this pastoral one, you know, it's it's hard to think of Ludwig van as a, I don't know, a nature-loving hippie. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's not got that drive of the, the Fifth Symphony. It's it's static, quiet contemplation. It's, it's, it's all very... It's already almost Mozart-like, you know. It's um, I just find it an absolutely incredible piece of music that's really difficult to describe. Beyond, you know, you mentioned all the things that are in there. You know, it's almost like he's transcribed birdsong at points. It's almost like you know he's stumbled on you know peasant country dancing and all the yes. rest of it. That's that's all in there. And then the, the storm comes along, but it it builds so cleverly that you don't know it's a storm until you're in the middle of the storm. It's it's interesting you mention about the storm movement because I've heard like 
I don't know, maybe about four or five different recordings of the album in my lifetime. And I always tend to use the storm movement as my guide as to whether I like that recording or not. It's only like three minutes of the whole symphony. But the first recording that I ever heard was by, I think, the uh, orchestra, the Concert Gabot, and they absolutely had, pun not intended, a perfect storm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think I, w- I went to see, like on a couple of occasions, the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra do a performance of the Sixth Symphony, and it just seemed that on the occasions that I went, that that storm movement was very static. It's supposed to be, uh, it's supposed to be fluid. It- it's mm. supposed, it's supposed to just sort of roll around and be very dramatic. But it just seemed that it was, oh, I-, I can't think of the word, but it just seemed so rigid in a way, and yeah. it-, it just. I don't think that maybe the conductor got what that movement was really supposed to sound like. It was far from perfect. And some of these recordings, they just haven't matched the one that I heard as a kid. I mean, and that's not just, you know, my sentimental attachment to what I heard as a six-year-old. But really, as I said, I've heard all these recordings throughout my life. And I'm thinking, no, that album, that recording, they got it. I'm sure there's other great recordings out there. And I'd love to be pointed in the way of it. But that that particular one, they they just got it. But really, but of course, we got a whole symphony here. And, and most of the rest of it, they, um, they usually got right. But that dramatic, the one dramatic high point, the one that probably sort of matches the fifth symphony for for drama as opposed to you know the rest of it which is a lot more relaxed and i think as i remember as a kid that the theme in the fifth movement of that symphony tended to be quite famous here in australia because it was being used in ads or something horrible but uh, that fifth movement people of my age will definitely know that piece of music i mean even if you're if you're not a classical music lover yeah there's a lot of an awful lot of the classical music you listen to it and you think I know that from somewhere. Oh, hang on, yeah, that's the British Airways theme tune, or, you know. <laughs> Die Hard, it was in Die Hard. It was in Die Hard, yeah. <laughs> well, therefore, therefore, it is a good, piece, accessible piece of music if it's made it to Die Hard. Right. Um, no, but yeah, I was using uh, using the, the Beethoven 6th as a, a sort of catch-all to represent classical music, and I know we call, we call classical music, using the term to describe all the different styles, you know, whether yeah. it's romantic, baroque, all these things. But, yes, yes. Um, you know, massive for me this last few months, a massive voyage of discovery. Oh, that's um, fantastic. Even dragged Kate out a few times now to see the, the Melbourne Symphony and to see, you know, various chamber orchestras, and we've just bought a whole load of tickets for next, next season. I was going to ask you whether you'd made the leap into the MSO. That's fantastic. Oh, absolutely, can't can't wait, and uh, you know, I I just find that there's something there's something there for every, you know for every occasion, and you know, thankfully we've got a couple of good radio stations in Melbourne who can lead you by the hand through some you know some new stuff. I mean, I was thinking, well, if you if you've got Mozart and Beethoven and you know Brahms and Schubert and a couple of others covered, then you're doing pretty well. But there's all there's just there's squillions of them out there, and you know some of them have written some of them have written some brilliant stuff. And then you look it up and you read about it, and all the critics say, that's terrible. That's just you know it's badly written. And it's all, and you're like, oh, that's a good tune. Leave it alone. I'll listen. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's interesting to think. I mean, like, as you know, we know in in, uh, in terms of modern music, uh, we would have read, or maybe read the story. I think it was in 1965, at I think it was the, the Newport Folk Festival when Bob Dylan went electric. <laughs> there were people who were booing him, or, or I think the, the the infamous the infamous show where he played with the band on you know probably from the same well not probably definitely from the same period 
where he, um, I think he plays like a Rolling Stone and he starts up with saying, let's play this, play this one fucking loud while the audience is booing him for going electric. And you think, what was the fuss about? But apparently, like back in those days, where, you know, composers would be, you know, the premiere of their own uh, works of, of music, there were people in the audience who would boo and would storm out. And you, it's, so it's not a new concept at all, but you're, you're imagining it's music. Why on earth would you be booing it? I, I don't understand. You like it or you don't like it, but it's a it's a crazy concept. Yeah, I wonder if the uh, I wonder if the, the composers of old took the same view as Bob Dylan that you know if you're upsetting people, then you're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, good old Ludwig van couldn't even hear what the critics were saying. Yeah, you can boo him all all you like. It's not going to make any difference. <laughs> right. All right. Anyway, so. Um, yeah, all your thoughts? You got any uh, additional thoughts about uh, the pastoral? Ah, that's probably covered it pretty well for me, other than, you know, if you've never listened to it, go out and listen to it. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Actually, I would I would quite honestly say that if you've sort of held that till now with uh, listening to classical music, just sort of thinking, well, I don't really know anything. I don't want to put my foot in those waters. But if you're now sort of thinking, well, you know, maybe give it a go, I'd say the pastoral symphony is a really great starting place. I think it's wonderful. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fantastic, a fantastic look in. And if anybody's out there and they're thinking of dabbling in classical music, go for it. Jump in. It, you know, you don't have to be scared off by all the can I call them twats on a podcast <laughs> go go on about you know oh yeah so this is this is that and this is the construction of the symphony. And if you like the tune, listen to it. If you don't like the tune. Switch it off and listen to something else. You'll find, so Jeff, you'll find something you like. So, Jeff, have you actually found a classical music podcast or two that you checked out? I haven't actually uh, gone classical music podcasting uh, listening yet. I still feel that you know I'm, I'm very much in early days, and you know people with a lot of a lot of knowledge of it would either leave me cold or you know puzzle me. You know I might not be able to might not be able to keep up with it, and you know I'm, I'm too busy listening to all the popular music podcasts. Well, surely, <laughs> there's, surely there's got to be something that's accessible or classical for beginners or something of that nature out there. Oh, I'm sure there is, you know, classical music 101 or classical music for dummies or something's got to exist. Yeah, good, good, good suggestion, Eric. You know, there's a show. I don't know if it's still running on ABC Classic FM here called Keys to Music. Uh, it's been running for quite a few years, and they do a, like a pretty good description. They they do go sort of in depth into one piece usually, but they do it in a very very accessible way. And actually, now that I think about it, I wonder this would be worth looking at to see if this now exists in podcast land. But for many years, there was a guy from the states called Carl Haas, H A A S. I think he died maybe about four or five years ago now. He had a really fantastic show, which started, I think they would syndicate it here on MBS FM, and I think maybe went to Classic FM after a while. And every day, he would do a show where he'd pick a topic, and he'd discuss that topic and bring pieces of classical music. And it would never be something as obvious as, you know, the, the works of Brahms or the works of Tchaikovsky. It, he would just like pick some obscure topic and find a way to link it to classical music. And he was incredible. Incredibly accessible and really, really fascinating. So uh, just look up Carl Haas, see if there's any of his recordings have made it onto the internet or whether they've gone and uh, podcasted his his works. I mean, th- there were like hundreds and hundreds of shows that he put together and he was very, very accessible. I think you'd dig him. Oh, see cool. If, see if you can find his stuff out there. Yeah, I'll definitely have a look for him. Anyway, okay, so uh, we'll now go to Eric, your, your first choice of the show. Well, you know, it's it's kind of uh, I'm following what uh, Beethoven with um, the 
first solo album by a member of the B-52s, and that would be <laughs> Kate Pearson's Guitars and Microphones album. Now! Time wave zero zero now! Time wave zero zero now! Solar storms, the end of our days! This year's been kind of weird for me musically because of um, my schedule's been all over the place, and when I the times I used to have to listen to music has kind of morphed and changed, and I haven't been just picking up random stuff like I used to. In the last about five six weeks, I've started listening to a lot of Spotify to check stuff out. Mm-hmm. So so uh, most of the stuff I have that I've been listening to throughout the year that really hooked me is actually from this year, and it's stuff that I checked out from the local library for the most part. But this album was something that was um, I just saw it was in the library catalog and I thought yeah we could check that out and it's basically Kate Pearson doing um, singer songwriter pop rock doing pop poppy rock stuff that that definitely uh, calls back to the 70s and the 60s mm-hmm. and some 80s it, some of it sounds like the B-52s I don't know it's, it's just good stuff I like listening to it it's um it's got a little bit of Bowie in there occasionally so it just kind of caught my ear and I just kind of listened to it there's no songs in particular that jumped out at me. I just, it's one of those albums I put on when I'm doing, you know, folding the laundry or doing lawn work or whatever. So, right. so uh, is it, you know, party music in the same way that the B-52s is? Not really. Okay. Not, I mean, you could play it at a party, but it's a little more reflective, a little more mature, a little more singer-songwriter. And okay. uh, it's got that same kind of bouncy, fun feel, but not, yeah, not just something that you're going to throw on when you have a bunch of people over. So, uh, are the B-52s still actually a going concern in any format? I do not know. Ah, okay. So, oh, oh. just wondering whether uh, this is just some side project or whether um, whether they've bit the dust and she just sort of feels, well, right, this is now what I want to do with my life. But, uh, so, was this a, an album that was uh, released this year, to the best of your knowledge? Yes, it's a 2015 album. I'm willing to bet the B-52's tour play around. I don't know that they have any interest in recording, but um, this is probably just, you know, something she's been working on off and on. I know Fred Schneider has done some solo stuff, so... Mm-hmm. What's the name of this album again? It is called Guitars and Microphones. Guitars and Microphones. Okay, there you go, folks. The first uh, recommendation from Eric, Guitars and Microphones, from Kate Pearson. Uh, Okay, so we go for your second pick, Mr... uh, Oh, I should say Dr. Jeff Smith. (laughs) I I can't profess to know anything further about the the B-52s. I do remember reading somewhere that earlier this year Kate Pearson got married. If that's anything to add to the discussion. I wonder if she was her own wedding entertainment. <laughs> I don't know, a bit of rock lobster might have been quite uh... yeah, People would have been expecting it. Absolutely. I'd be disappointed if they didn't. Mm. Probably probably on the menu rather than anything else. Anyway, we digress. We oh, digress. Boom, boom. All right, um, but yeah, my next pick is uh, the, the new Springsteen collection that came out uh, a couple of weeks ago The Ties That Bind, the River Collection. <laughs>
doesn't know the river was originally a double album when it came out so the river collection is quite an extensive box set um i bought it mainly because it has a, a whole bunch of outtakes there's a disc in there which is called the ties that bind which was the originally intended format of the river album mm. um it's the the single album and uh, you know Bruce being Bruce decided at the last minute as usual that you know it maybe wasn't quite right didn't represent what he was trying to do in some fashion pulled it pulled it from the you know the, the listenings at the record company and said no no we want to change all this and went away and recorded a double album many of the songs from the original independent uh, ties that bind listing didn't actually make it into the new double album hmm. and there's you know there's there's a there's a number in there that you think Bruce, why not? Those are fantastic songs, you know. But uh, I guess you know I shouldn't be I shouldn't be criticising somebody who's had phenomenal recording success around the world over a long, long time. You know, he seems to know what he's doing. Yeah, well, of course, we would have heard some of these songs through um, other means over the years. How, how does it sort of feel? How does it shape up with the mixing and mastering done for uh, legitimate release? I think they've been fairly, uh, you know, they've been fairly true to how the, the songs were laid down back in what, 70s and 80s when they were originally recorded. You can't really pick a lot of modernising and, and stuffing around like you could with some of the uh, some of the numbers on the tracks box set that came out. You know where they'd added new vocals or you know they, they, they'd updated stuff. This this sounds fairly uh, fairly of of the the era. Mm-hmm. The outtakes. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff on there when you you, you hear songs that maybe you haven't heard before because a, a number of them haven't um, haven't appeared in other formats, fair or foul. And you know you, you hear the words from songs that you recognise being used in different unfamiliar ways. You know they've obviously been part of the the genesis of a song, and you know he's thrown it away and then come back with it later and. You know some of his uh, some of his Bruce's um, quite regular expressions. You know, I mean, I don't know how many times you need to to pull out the Cadillac and polish up the chrome. You know, it must be a very uh, particularly shiny Cadillacs in the states, I guess. There's also a, a lot of songs on there um, that you think, you know, these are outtakes, Bruce, and perhaps so they should have remained. You know, um, okay. they're not. It's not that they're not that they're bad songs or terrible songs or anything like that. You just sort of like. Nah, I can see where you were going with that, you know, but that's that's strictly that was on the way to somewhere else, and you know maybe we don't maybe we didn't really need to hear the the journey. I can't I can't actually remember which song I chose to uh, to represent. I think it was Loose Ends. Oh well, don't worry, we're playing it. Uh, under, we're playing it underneath this conversation as we speak. So uh, uh, yeah, I think it was I think it was, I think it was Loose Ends that I that I put on the list. And that's that's a that's long been a favourite. That was one of the ones that escaped, you know, quite early in the piece. I think. One obviously that the the group decided that probably should get out a long time ago. Um, there's another one on there called Stray Bullet, mm-hmm. which I reckon will be up there with uh, with some of Bruce's best work for me. It's a it's a slower song. It's one of those ones where you know Bruce is being so sad that it's you know it's you know channeling Roy Orbison and, and Buddy Holly in lyric and mood, if not in uh, if not in sound, but. It kind of makes racing in the street look like a cheery, upbeat number. Oh, that is sad. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that you know that it, it's well worth checking out for for some of the the real hidden gems on there, and and also I guess well worth checking out for to hear to hear somebody who's you know often suggested as one of the you know real consistent, strong songwriters capable of a couple of 
clunkers, should we say. You know, there's a song on there called Chain Lightning, which um, if I never, ever hear it again, I'll be quite happy. Um, <laughs> not Again, not that it's not that it's bad. It's just... It's, it's just not good. <laughs> if I can, yeah, if I can, uh, is that an oxymoron? Uh, you know, but then you know, there's other ones, White White Town and uh, uh, Night Fire, which are you know again great songs and uh, and would have looked particularly good on you know on any album. But uh, there's an awful lot of you know 50s sounding rock and roll on there, and uh, the the lucky lucky folks that are going to be able to go and see this River Tour, right. That they've put together in uh, in the states uh, early in the, the new year, uh, as well as hearing the river from start to finish, which will be fantastic. Almost worth flying to the states for by itself. You know, I poke people's eyes out forgetting to hear the the price you pay live, which I've never managed yet, but you know missed it by a show last time. Uh, they're going to hear some, I would guess, some of these these outtake songs from the collection knocking about as well. So uh, yeah, I might look out and see if there's any official releases of you know one or two of the shows um, as had been the way of the Springsteen organization at the, right. the the end of the high hopes tour you know you could you could download uh, officially you know decent decent versions of the shows and right. I, dare, I dare say failing that there might be some uh, there might be some unofficial releases going around which uh, should only be consulted for research purposes oh, absolutely we, we don't talk about that on this program there are, there should, there should not Shouldn't be condoned at all. We don't um, recommend it. Not one. Yeah, one, no. One, whatever you do, do not listen to any of those. No, no, don't, don't, don't. I was, I was going to say as well. This is becoming something of a cottage industry for some, some of those uh, legacy acts. I mean, I know that. Uh, Bob Dylan has now been putting out for more than 20 years some of those old you know, sessions and classic live gigs and things like that. And now with, with Bruce, not just the tracks box set, but in a few years back where there was you know the Born to Run sessions and there was a darkness on the edge of town. Uh, there was a darkness on the edge of town. Well, I can't remember if it was a whole box set, but there was certainly that double CD of The Promise. Yeah, uh, there, was featuring... a box, there was a box set of that as well, yeah. And, and now, now The River. It's it, the Grateful Dead model. Uh, okay, so I, I've got to confess, I've never sort of been like a big follower of uh, the Grateful Dead. Uh, so is that something that they've done or that they did? Well, their whole thing was live recordings and tra- tape trading and shows. And- sure, but sure, but what I'm, what I'm, I guess I'm getting through here is like you know, once the record company realizes that they're not going to get much in the way of new material from a legacy artist, they're saying, right, we're going to go back through the studio yeah. archives. Yeah as well so is that oh yeah oh yeah yeah i I mean i'm not a deadhead i in fact i kind of despise that whole thing that band is all about but um but i do know that 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 has been their model that was their model for a long time and now that they have the dwindling original members that it seems like a lot of the uh the infamous shows that were bootlegged for decades with the band's permission are getting uh, official releases huh all right, so uh, Bruce may be following the uh, the Grateful Dead model, as uh, Eric suggests. Yeah, he's, uh, he's. I think I either read in an interview or it it says in the DVD that comes in the box set, which is. Uh, I'll come back to that point. The DVD in the box set is actually, you know, really quite interesting. It's basically just Bruce and an acoustic guitar and talking about some of the, you know, the events that were happening back then in the day when the when the river was originally recorded and doing his usual sort of squirming on the witness stand and trying to be honest kind of, you know, discussion of it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean, when you, know, you can sure. see really trying to, trying to, trying to get to the point and, and talking about the songs and how it was developed. And uh, so that's, you know, that's, that's really worth, worth a look to the, 
the background and, and, and how he says, you know, how it all developed. And there's not an awful lot there by anybody else. Um, the Darkness one and, and the Born to Run one, there was many interviews with you know, other band members and producers and all that kind of stuff. This one's just uh, just Bruce on his farm, which looks like a bloody nice house, actually, I have to add. Is that the but, same place where he recorded the, uh, uh, the, the Sega sessions? I believe so, yes. Okay, because yeah. I've got, got the little DVD that comes with that album and it sort of like looks like it's in a in a rural property. So Yeah, yeah, I think uh, it could be the same one. Um, but yeah, I think I read somewhere that the that w- what he's trying to do now is he's always such a prolific artist and he always agonised about what went on the albums and what didn't make the albums and particularly, you know, Miami Steve saying that you know, Bruce always had three or four times the number of songs for any given album and you've just got to hate him for that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there are a lot of a lot of good songs had to not make it. And, you know, well, now... He's better, than, make- better than writing only 10 songs, putting all 10 on and finding that four of them don't work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it, I think the, the point that he was trying to make was that, you know, he's 60-odds he's now and he's probably he's much nearer the end of his career than he is the beginning and there's an awful lot of good stuff that he wanted to say to his fans along the years that never quite made it and you know why not why not get it out there you know the fans have the fans have been you know loyal and clamoring for it for many years so why not just package it up and get it out there and you know, make a few bucks as well, I guess. But you know, you know, the timing of this one—it's, uh, I think, it's the—it's the biggest of the box sets released thus far, and coming out three weeks before Christmas must purely have been a coincidence. Uh, it, look, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare be so cynical as to suggest that it's a, a Christmas cash-in. But you know, no, I mean, Sony Music would never, never consider it. No, 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 never. Like oh, sorry, they who, they who shall not be named. Oh, we don't, we don't talk about that, do we? <laughs> no, we don't. No, we we don't go talking about you know. We wouldn't want to diss big record companies or suggest that they have an ulterior motive, surely. Not on this program. No, no, no. no. All right. Anyway, so uh, we'll go, Eric, your uh, your next selection for the show. So there's this band, I think I've spoke about them before, called Rad Key. Mm-hmm. They're uh, three brothers from Missouri, and they play this great melodic punk rock. It's maybe the most exciting punk rock I have heard in years. They, they have a little bit of the Misfits in their sound, a little bit of uh, the Alkaline Trio, but in a lot of soul and a lot of heart. They had an album this year that came out called Dark Black Makeup that I, I just, I really like it a lot. Kids these days, they want it all. They just trip, trip and fall. It's always dead. It's always dead. I'm tired of being knocking. My tired head starts acting up. have a lot of energy and uh see young people apparently it's three homeschooled brothers who are all african-american i should add play punk rock with this kind of energy and ferocity and and restraint and a little bit of maturity and 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 definitely a sense of fun as well it's just kind of amazing in this day and age you don't you don't see that all that often 
-hmm. Punk rock seems to be the the realm of of people a generation older than these kids, and definitely of uh, mainly white and Hispanic people. So it, it you know not it's not to say that there haven't been a, a lot of African Americans involved in punk rock. Because if you go back and you look at the Bad Brains, you know especially the Bad Brains and the, uh, the band called Death yeah, that uh, there was, was a documentary death. about. You know uh, you do see a lot of participation of African Americans in the in the punk scene. It just wasn't as at the front of everyone's consciousness. So uh, yeah, they're just a really great band, and I look forward to uh, what they're going to do next. And I and I hope that as with. Uh so many other punk acts we see that they just continue to grow and mature and explore whatever it is they want to uh, to do. So how old are they, roughly? But you, uh, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm guessing that they're early 20s, late teens, early 20s. Their their first EP was, you know, two years, or their EPs were two years ago. And uh, I think they were teens at that point, so. So is this um, recording Dark Black Makeup, is it like released independently or gone through some big label? What's, it, what's their story? <sighs> I'm not sure what label it's on. I know I know that you can find it all over um, Amazon and those okay. kinds of places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so red key, dark black makeup. I think I, I sent you the uh, the title track, dark black makeup. Okay. No worries. Uh, well, Dark Black Makeup by Red Keat, an album to uh, go search for. All right, we'll go back. I think we'll have one more go around before going to a break. So, Jeff, your third selection, please. <coughs> uh, my third selection follows on from uh, quite nicely from, from Eric's. Um, I'd like to bring up the young Melbourne band called Public Service Announcement, uh, PSA to their friends. Um, and their demo album, which was released this year, called No Pants, No Problem. <laughs> Your blonde, beautiful hair Your blue, pretty eyes Oh, are they green? I only remember lies You told me not to cheat And I never did I just wanted to ask you They class themselves as a, a punk rock band, but I guess what uh, what passes as punk rock these days is a fairly broad church, so to speak, isn't it? They're, they're a three-piece from Melbourne. They've got a, a guitar player, a bass player, and a drummer. They're loud, they're fun. Their musical style, it's difficult to say. It's kind of all, kind of all their own. It's a, it's a heavy sound. It's There's early Gaslight Anthem in there somewhere. Uh, there's maybe Airborne Toxic Event. There's Motorhead. There's... You know, they're in that sort of young lads start a new band kind of area, but they can all play. There's, there's no uh, there's no doubt about that, they can all play. Um, I mean, it might not be your particular style of music, but there's definite musicianship in there. And I think, um, you know, Eric nailed it when he talked about, you know, waiting to see how they grow and mature and explore what they want to do. Um, but there's some, you know, some, some really good moments on there, some some fairly mature songwriting for, for young guys. And there's, there's there's some fairly sort of what would you say immature songwriting on there, but they, you know they're young lads learning their skills, you know, and, and paying their dues. But they're well worth a listen for any of the any of the folks out there who, who enjoy that sort of music. So this is a, a demo album or like a proper release? Did you say? I can't remember. It's a, it's a demo album, but it's been it's available on Amazon and uh, you know all, all good download stores and probably okay. some probably some bad ones too. But <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it on Spotify right now. So if it's up on Spotify, at least here in the States, that means it's got some kind of distribution. Fantastic. Have they been played somewhere locally, like on Triple R or Triple J? I, 
don't know if they've, don't know if they've made it to local radio as yet. Um, they're still doing a lot of, lot of gigging around Melbourne when they can. Mm. Obviously, they're quite young, so some of the licensing laws uh, they, they can fall foul of that. You know, if they can get in and play, sometimes some of their audience can't, which is a which is always a shame. But it's a, you know it's always been that way, I guess. But uh, no, definitely worth checking out. PSA, public service announcement. Excellent, yep. excellent stuff. All right, Eric, your next selection, please. Oh, okay. So, Elin Jewell is a, I guess, Americana artist, I guess is what we want to call her. She, a little bit of country, a little bit of uh, 50s rock and roll. And uh, I've been following her for a couple of years. I've seen her play live a couple of times. Oh, nice. She had an album, album that came out this year called Sundown Over Ghost Town. This place plays tricks on me. Continues on with the uh, the kind of music that she's been playing for several years, and I always get I always pick up her albums and play them in the car. And one of the things I like is that musically, you know, there's sometimes there's a standout track, but not always. But it's something you can always listen to. You know, if you're in the mood for something a little more mellow, a little more reflective, that kind of singer songwriter vibe that we often talk about, but definitely with a uh, country bent, and I don't mean country as in what passes for country in Nashville these days. Yeah, yeah. Just going to say, look, like you, I'm a big, big fan of uh, Ellen Jewell. A mate of mine put me onto a, oh, I can't remember what the year was, but about the time when the album Sea of Tears came out, so I got myself a copy of Sea of Tears and the follow-up Queen of the Minor Key, and yeah, it, that it does definitely have that rockabilly feel that's sort of not not the country music the sort of thing that passes as you know pastiche or whatever but it is i love her voice it's not it doesn't have uh the sort of uh singing voice that we might associate with i hate to use the word the more typical country it, 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 there's not the twang in there she she does definitely have more the singer songwritery sort of voice mm-hmm. but um what i found was really interesting she came to australia for one tour and uh, a mate of mine went to see her i unfortunately didn't get around to seeing her but the surprising thing was he said she was incredibly loud and i thought really i mean you know these these albums they're not you know they're not sort of late at night reflective acoustic guitar sort of albums but you know they are the fact that he told me that she played really really loud was uh, sort of not at all anything that I was expecting from these albums she definitely has that rock edge to her though you know Sea of Tears is, is, is a perfect example of that and uh, there's not a standout rock song on this newer album in fact the, the song I picked was uh, Rio Grande which uh, you know just a nice great mellow track from her and uh, I, I just I've loved everything she's done so far and I believe I believe she just announced that they're probably coming back to Australia. I'm looking oh, to see wow. if I have that correct. So don't let me uh, get your hopes up. But I think she, <laughs> I think they announced on her Facebook page that they, they, uh, yes, they are going to return to Australia in 2016. Oh. They're going to play the um, apparently the Boogie Festival and more show announcements coming soon. So she has a great Facebook page you can follow. It's, it's basically her talking about the music and tour. 
stuff. So you can I'm, keep up with her there. I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up, but I I've got to be honest with you. I, I'm really hoping that she doesn't show up for a little while yet because um I, I've got a few shows that I've just sort of gone and booked for for the first three ah. months, and I'm I, I think really the bank account's not going to be able to hold up. But well. but I got to say I can't let Eel and Jewel come here and not mm. go and see her. So, I don't know, I'm just going to have to not eat for a week or something. Yeah, I, I've seen her locally <laughs> twice, and, and she's put on a good show both times. Very, very personable, very uh, great stage presence, interacted with the crowd. I saw her in a small club kind of a setting. It's the same place that I saw Alejandro Escovedo a couple of years ago. Nice. She can uh, she can sing the, the, those great folk songs, but she can also rock out those rockers and puts on a great show, and uh, you know her, her records reflect that. I don't know whether it's a description she'd like or not, but she just looks so sweet. There's just something about it. It just uh, when, I've seen some YouTube footage, and she, you know, she's singing away with the band, and she's uh, I, I don't know, it's just sweet. Is yeah, is, is a is an apt description, I think. Well, she's she's not the hard bitten kind of uh, country singer who's you know seen the bottom of a bottle too many times or anything. Right. But she's also not that that saccharine, oversaturated icon that they keep trying to sell to uh, teenage girls and you know it this this the music is something to me that you know it's sitting on the back porch drinking beer in the middle of august kind of music yeah i can i can identify with that yeah i'd say that's a good a good uh, comparison what- i can't remember i was gonna say i can't remember which album it was that i i got i think morris you put me put me onto her a couple of years ago well, probably sea of tears I yeah imagine. and i remember thinking yeah that's that's really quite good and now i'm going out on memory here i think she's from idaho she is. Which is, if my geography is right, sort of north and middle of the states? It's Pacific Northwest. So she Pacific is quite Northwest. far away from far yeah. away from Nashville and, and all that kind of... At the same time, that is start, still part of the West and the Western tradition here in the states. And there's this weird the p- connection with Seattle, which is Pacific Northwest, mm. and uh, country music. You know, Loretta, Loretta Lynn lived in Seattle for a long time. and She, she did an album, a, a tribute album to Loretta. Oh, she did. She did an album of covers. And she had indicated that when I saw her live that she was going to do an album. Every year she wanted to do an album of originals and then a cover tribute album. Okay. And I'm waiting for her to do another one to see what she picks. But it seems that that cycle got broken. I think that from what I read, she she had a child and she and her her, uh, husband moved back to Idaho from Boston. So somewhere in there, things got derailed, not in a bad way, but, you know, in the way that life takes you. Yes. Mm. So maybe we'll get an album out of her. That's a tribute. Maybe not. Let's just hope she. Uh, let's just hope she never finds herself going through San Antonio on her travels, because that seems to be where all the bad things happen in country songs. So. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. So that's uh, Sundown Over Ghost Town. That's yes. Your recommendation. Yep. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, getting a getting hold of a copy of that. Now, so the last thing I just sort of want to make in reference to her, if you want to go do a search out on YouTube. I was really quite thrilled to see that she um, did a gig or maybe just came on as a guest singer for uh, a band I really adore called uh, Lost Straight Jackets. Most of their stuff is instrumental, but I think they've done one or two albums with guest singers. I don't know if she appeared on one of those records, but uh, there's certainly some YouTube footage of her uh, coming out. I, as I say, I don't know if it's for the whole gig or they just had like selected songs, but uh, I thought that they were a very good fit. Search that out. That's, uh, okay, so uh, what we'll do now is we'll go to a break. We've gone uh, through three go-rounds of uh, Eric's and Jeff's choices. 
And what we'll do is we'll uh, listen to uh, the, the one bit of feedback that I got for this show. Grateful uh, Mr. Ben Eisen of the All Time Top 10 podcast. Now, he hasn't gone and selected albums so much that he's heard this year, but artists that he's dug through recommendations of guest people who've come on the All Time Top 10 podcast. You know, someone who's gone and said, have you heard this artist for this subject? And he said, no, I have not. So he's going to talk about some of the best artists who he's heard this year through recommendations of his guests on uh, All Time Top 10. So we'll be back in a, in a few minutes and uh, we'll go through Jeff and Eric's final selections for uh, this uh, episode of Love That Album. Well, you're listening to Love That Album. We'll be back shortly. Ben here. We all have our musical blind spots. For whatever reason, we've completely missed the boat on certain seminal artists that we, as music fans, should have automatic knowledge of. Doing my podcast all-time top 10 for the last four years has broadened my musical horizons more than I ever thought possible, and the fact that it's a weekly show, and every two or three episodes, I'll be exposed to an amazing piece of music or seminal artist that I can't believe I've lived this long without hearing or knowing about. Sometimes these discoveries happen during my research on a particular topic, but mostly it occurs when a guest brings in something that completely blows me away. The following are artists and songs. Sorry, uh, Morris, this list is mostly songs and not albums. Um, These are uh, songs and artists that I am embarrassed to say that I was introduced to in 2015, along with the guest and friend who did me the favor of introducing them to me. Start with Sia. The song Chandelier was featured in uh, episode 152, Songs of 2014, uh, by our friend David Daskal. I was late to the party with Sia, I'll admit it. I had heard of her and her weirdness, but was probably the last person in the USA to hear her voice. And what a voice. She's a freaking star, whether she wants it or not. Uh, Next up is Off-Broadway. The song was Full Moon Turn My Head Around. Uh, Thanks to Jeff Axelrod for featuring that. In episode 157, Top 10 Bands from Chicago. Uh, Off-Broadway is a late 70s power pop a la the Babies and the Jags and Joe Jackson. And power pop never sounded so good. It's meat and potatoes rock and roll. And what's what's not to like about that? Uh, David Lindley is also an artist that I was uh, introduced to in 2015. I know I should be uh, have things hurled at me for that one. But uh, as uh, he was featured playing with Jackson Brown on three songs on top 10 slide guitar songs, Running on Empty These Days and Your Bright Baby Blues, I always knew there was something mournful and beautiful about Jackson Brown's songs. But it was only when uh, we featured David Lindley three times on the slide guitar songs episode that I realized it was the slide guitar that gave Jackson's music a lot of its soul, and it is expertly played by his right-hand man, David Lindley. Consider me a new fan. Also, uh, Sonny Landreth, see uh, the previous podcast, Top 10 Slide Guitar Songs. Uh, The following are artists that I was exposed to for mostly the first time by hosting Top 10 Hip Hop Songs of the 80s with Dan Ewan and Guy Opachinski. 
Uh, I want to mention Africa, Bombada, Third Base, and Slick Rick. Also, um, in uh, Top 10 Rock Instrumentals, Volume 2, through my own research, I discovered a song that I absolutely love. Uh, it's the Viscounts with ha- Harlem Nocturne. Um, I stumbled upon a list doing my research of uh, every rock instrumental that ever cracked the U.S. Top 20 since 1955. And this one was featured in I Instantly Fell in Love with its film noir to Tarantino for Tarantino tremolo guitar and smoky saxophone. This is a perfect soundtrack to actual Pulp Fiction not just the movie. That's the Viscounts with Harlem, Harlem Nocturne. Also, I want to mention Australia's own Johnny O'Keefe. Uh, I've never heard of this gentleman before this year. And uh, The Wild One was featured on uh, Top 10 Wild Songs. Um, this was a silly topic, but I'm by my guest, rock writer David Wild. We featured songs that had the word wild in the title. It's here that I discovered an awesome import from the land of kangaroos and informed my notion that Iggy Pop has awesome taste in covers. Johnny Johnny O'Keefe, the original Aussie rocker. Uh, I also learned a ton about 1970s and 80s funk and pop with the episode Top 10 Interpolated Songs or Sampled Songs where I was introduced to a number of amazing classics, some new, some old. Uh, For example, M.I.A.'s Paper Planes, George Clinton's Atomic Dog, Sister Sledge's He's the Greatest Dancer, and Lobby Seafray's I Got The, which Eminem sampled on his debut single, My Name Is, uh, episode episode 182. Top 10 Stevie Wonder songs with Inyaze Vincent introduced me to a lot of album tracks of Stevie's that I was painfully unaware of. Namely, uh, Evil, Heaven is Ten Zillion Light Years Away, and The Amazing Saturn, where people live to be 205. Uh, bonus shout-outs to the following artists that I was introduced to this year. Uh, Emiliana Torini, Bear McCrary, Robin Trower, Willis Allen Ramsey, and the great Emmett Rhodes. Thank you to Chris Price for that one. Anyway, that's all I got, Morris. Uh, it's been a really cool year, and um, I have to keep doing all-time top 10 so I can keep coming up with more juicy uh, music knowledge to add to my collection, and I love doing it. I love doing it for a lot of reasons, and that's a big, big part of it. Uh, thanks a lot, and Happy New Year from all-time top 10. Tim and Bernie every month as they discuss music-related movies. iTunes, Facebook or download direct from seehere.podbeam.com
the See Here podcast. It's a blast. Far out. out. And we're back. Thanks very much to Ben for sending in that seg. His favourite discoveries of 2015. Not necessarily albums, but just songs that he got into, or artists that he got into through recommendations of his guests on the uh, all-time top 10 podcast. And I might just sort of throw in something a little bit quick here. A couple of weeks ago, I listened to his episode, All-Time Top 10 Debut Albums, and it really struck me quite strange. It it took till season five. I couldn't quite believe that he hadn't actually gotten around to doing that. It seemed like a rather obvious topic, but there you go. He finally got around to it. And there was an artist who his guest, Chris Price, he'd gone and he's a, a musician, but also an album producer. And he made mention that an artist who he's just produced a new album for is an artist who hasn't recorded in 40 years, is a guy called Emmett Rhodes. Now, I know that there's one or two people who expressed surprise that I had not heard of Emmett Rhodes or heard his music, but better late than never. And some of the uh, musicians who he's got guesting with Emmett Rhodes on this album, on this new album, uh, are amazing. We've got, you know, the cast of Jellyfish. Uh, you know, got John Bryan is there and all, a whole lot of power pop heavyweights. So I thought, right, well, I went and listened on YouTube to Emmett Rhodes' first album, which is, I think, a self-titled album. And I absolutely adore it. I think, why was this guy not in my life? So I'm really looking forward to the new album. I think Emmett Rhodes had a big hit in the 80s. That, that name is sounding very familiar. Well, it's unusual because uh, I think he said that this is his like first recording in something like 40 years or something like that. So a little bit like Bill Fay. I mean, musically, not really similar to Bill Fay, but in that he'd been convinced to come out of retirement after such a long absence from the recording table. So I don't know if that's the same guy or, or not. But um, anyway, so if uh, you're out there, if you haven't heard all-time top 10 debut albums and you're curious who is this Emmett Rhodes, then... I think you know three albums or so are up there on YouTube for you to give it a listen to, and uh, I'm not sure if those albums are available on CD or on vinyl. But if uh, those are your preferred methods of listening to albums, then give a bit of a listen to on YouTube, see if it appeals to you. I, th- I think it sort of resembles in a way like The Raspberries or Badfinger to me, which is unusual because for me, I don't know, I know that a lot of power pop fans are big fans of The Raspberries and for some reason they never really did it for me. I might sort of go back to it now, but I do like Emmett Rhodes and yet it does seem to have that sort of similarity to that end of the power pop spectrum. Just thought I'd give that little bit of a shout out and uh, early in the new year, Ben will be a guest on the Love That Album podcast. We're going to tackle his selection of the debut album via the Violent Femmes and sometime in January I'll be a guest on All Time Top 10 where we'll be counting down our favourite Ben Folds songs so listen out for that that's going to be a lot of fun but anyway you're listening to episode 86 of Love That Album we're doing our uh, favourite discoveries or favourite albums of 2015 be they old or or new so we'll go back to Jeff your next favourite trying to narrow it down uh, to to five is always always difficult so this one gets in just it was was a close one for me between the one I'm going to talk about and uh, David Hasselhoff's The Night Before Christmas album The one, serious. To, oh, the, one that, no, the one that I'm going to talk about of, uh, of Monsters and Men's second album, Beneath the Skin. If I could face them, if I could make comments with all my shadows about my head and welcome them. But I feel 
by miles it's much better than anything by david hasselhoff i don't know why you, you, don't, you don't mean that do you oh absolutely i mean it morris oh, I'm, okay. I'm going to send you the the link so that you can go to youtube and, and i want your opinion on it <laughs> anyway we get back to of monsters and men i think it was 2011 their debut album my head is an animal came out monsters and men for anybody who doesn't know are an icelandic group they sort of are known for their sort of big kind of folky pop folk anthemic kind of songs. They get lumped in a lot of the time in discussions with, I was going to say bands such as Mumford and Sons, but that's kind of stretching the idea of bands or popular music quite far. Um, I'm not a big Mumford and Sons fan at all. In fact, I think they should be fought at every turn. Don't want to alienate any of your audience who, who might like Mumford's. This second album, though, is it, it very much gets away from that the, the folky sort of sound. It's much more sort of introspective, kind of kind of it's difficult to describe as as their first one was too they're very different but it's much more introspective much more personal and studied and you know the bits I've read about them in the background say that it comes from having spent two years on the road touring living in each other's pockets and getting to know each other really really well you know starting to to look into you know more mature themes and and that sort of stuff but uh, this trademark sound is still there it's an unusual sound obviously the the Icelandic accent I'm sure people are, are, are aware of that and, and, and familiar with it through the through the work of Björk are we allowed to say that on here as well? You're allowed to say sugar cubes and Björk, you may. Oh, okay. Yeah, sugar cubes I'll give you, but Björk, um, she should probably be locked up generally. Um, again, I didn't know whether I liked this album at first or whether I actually hated it at first, but it's definitely a grower. I kind of go through, when I've listened to it a number of times now, I kind of go through times when I listen to it and I think, no, I was right the first time, that's really not very good. You know, but then I'll, I'll, something always gets me coming back to it. So, you know, for that so for, for that reason alone, I think there's something that I think must be quite good about it. So different to their to their first album. Um, it's, a, it's a real new direction. What is it, instrumentation that's different or songwriting approach? Well, kind of both. They've kind of taken away the kind of fun horns and party sort of sound that goes on in the first album. Stripped that down to just sort of what you might call just a, an indie, indie rock album, really. Um, which is odd for me because I'm not an enormous fan of a lot of the the work of indie rock bands. I mean, many notable exceptions, of course. But yeah, it's much. It seems to be a much more sort of pared down kind of kind of album. The driving drums and and, and the, the the bass and the guitars are still in there, but they don't have the sort of fun sound over the top, which I think is what drew me into their first album. So I guess they're probably just trying to write a, a second album that that works for them rather than attract any new fans. Right. I've resisted the chance so far to uh, to go see them live. They're playing Melbourne. Uh, I think later later this month they may actually they may actually have played. I may have missed them. I uh, I saw they were playing, but you know didn't didn't buy tickets. So uh, why are you actively resisting? Well, because I think they're probably going to play most of the second album, and where I'd probably enjoy it and like and like to hear them live, I'd walk out thinking, well, they played all that stuff, so I've missed all the other stuff. Uh-huh. You know, purely selfish, purely selfish motives. <laughs> you know, I guess it'd be like going to a Springsteen show and he didn't play Born to Run. 
you know, a lot of the purists would be okay with that, but you know, the the general fans wouldn't like that. But um, so yeah, I, I would recommend people listen to it. So what, Maybe, was, the name of, what was the name of the album again? Called ben, Beneath the Skin. Beneath the Skin. Okay. The fir- the first album's called My Head Is an Animal, which is uh, I don't know, maybe you look something from the Icelandic translation, but I think it's quite a quirky kind of interesting, interesting. That's the word. Interesting, interesting band, interesting songs, worth checking out. I don't know if you've listened to them, Morris or Eric. But, I had, uh, I had not. Heard. I have. Mm. Go ahead. What do you make? What do you make of them, Eric? I enjoy them quite a bit, and the only reason that this one isn't probably on my list is I have not listened to it enough. But no, I, I really like them and what they're doing. That kind of folk rock sound with a with kind of a twist and definitely a um, ethnic world music kind of underpinning, maybe something. There's something that they bring to it that that sets it apart from everybody else. Yeah, it's definitely got a, a very different sound. And aside from the the unpronounceable names of the band members as well, that's uh, it's it's fun, but it's it's also quite dark in places as well. I think which describes Iceland. <laughs> I've never been to Iceland. Uh, it looks like an amazing place, but yeah. I've been there twice. So oh, yeah. Cool. All right. So we'll go on to uh, Eric, your next selection then. Okay. So um, when I was in college, my favorite band was a band called King's X. And uh, we're going to be talking about them in the new year, hopefully, we will. on this show. And they had an amazing run of melodic hard rock albums from the mid 80s to to the late 90s and then they started getting really experimental and i kind of tuned out not just because of their experimentalness but because i was going more towards punk rock and roots rock but this year their drummer released his uh i guess his second solo album called love and scars i've got this picture it's on the wall i'd rather stare at it than It's really the King's X album I've been waiting for since, you know, 1998 or whatever. He's, like I said, he's the drummer in the band, but he sings. And that's one of the great things about that band is every member of the band sings. And they're, you know, there's three guys and they, they manage to get these amazing harmonies on their records. Just just great stuff. Uh, great melodic hard rock metal if you're into Rush or 70s progressive rock, but more towards the rock metal end of things definitely worth checking out um the lyrics are something that are you know they're they're poetic but they're not impenetrable you just have to kind of listen and listen to pick up on what's being said and it's 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 a lot of you know reminiscing about life and things that have happened and looking at what's going on in the world today and without getting preachy without getting any kind of you know easy mantras or you know, talking points or anything. It's just a, it's a really great record, and uh, so I, so you, you didn't mention the name. So it's Jerry Gaskill, and so the he's no, he's the artist, and the record is called. Make sure I get this right. Love and scars. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. You did mention that. Yep. It's, uh, I, I really am enjoying it and rediscovering uh, this band. You know, Kings X in a lot of ways. You know, they're a band I've been away from for years, and kind of looking back at the music of my youth wow i sound really old um <laughs> you know uh it's kind of this is definitely in there and i'm trying to for me trying to figure out why it is that this resonated with me so much and at the time it was because they were talking about things that that i, I could identify with and i understand that it didn't seem like it was being 
said by most of popular music or my peers, really until the, the grunge era came along and that first wave of grunge albums that dealt a lot with the kind of issues that young members of Gen X were dealing with. And in fact, King's X was a huge influence on a lot of those bands, you know, uh, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, they were all big King's X fans. So, um, so that would have been like a contemporary of Husker Du, presumably. Then. These guys, um, more like, um, I think, who? Not... Not really Husker Du, because they were in a different part of the country. They came out of Austin, Texas, and they came from a religious background. They, they met at a religious school, and they formed because they were the backing band for a guy named Phil Kagey, who was a uh, big Christian rock guy. And they got hooked up with the uh, producer, one of the producers of ZZ Top, and just kind of plugged away at it for years. And, you know, very much a Beatles meets Metallica, I guess, is the shorthand for King's X Sound. Yeah. And that that's a lot of what... what you know, Gaskill is carrying on on his his record. So, okay. love and scars. Yep, excellent. I'm looking forward to uh, discussing the uh, King's X album with you sometime in the new year. I've got to most definitely. Yep, yep to uh, track that down. Uh, all right, so we're up to uh, I think your final selections, gentlemen. <laughs> the final moments of LTA for 2015. Jeff, your uh, final selection for the day. Well, I thought we should end on a high note. Um, I've just been putting my put my tie on to discuss this one. I'd like to to go back and echo my first choice, which was the Beethoven, by uh, throwing into the mix my other discovery uh, of this year, and that is opera. Ooh. And I've chosen to represent opera, of course, with the the maestro himself, uh, Mr. Mozart, young Austrian composer. For people who maybe don't know him, uh, <laughs> his uh, recent offering from 1786, the of Figaro. safe in saying that this is the oldest piece that's been discussed on the Love That Album podcast. I like to think so. <laughs> By quite some way, and you know, with Morris's great age, that's saying something. I, I, I've been to opera before in my life, you know, going, you know, going way back to my younger days. I was taken to a performance of, again, Mozart's Don Giovanni by my first set of in-laws. Oh, would have been 25 years ago, something like that. And uh, I had a really good nap. You know what? I was just going to say, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I was taken as a kid by my sister to see Don Giovanni and I fell asleep for 45 minutes. I I think there was like some aria where a woman hears a knock at the door and she's singing for 45 minutes about she wonders who it is and should she open up the door yeah absolutely there's yeah. there's there's a lot of bits like that in, in opera and that's i think that's what i focused on previously that it was just ridiculous and boring and dull but again i've, I've come to realize that yes it is ridiculous you know don't take it as seriously it's it is ridiculous but it's funny ridiculous and it's meant to be yeah you know the the, the soprano was saying i'm going to go over there i'm going to go over there for you know 20 minutes and every fiber of your being is just 
thinking, well, fucking go over there then. <laughs> you know, but the music can be so incredibly, you know, just beautiful music, um, especially if it's written by Mozart. I, I got to say, I was never a big fan of Mozart. I always found, I mean, I appreciate that, you know, for what he could do as a uh, 12 or 13 year old, how he could write these big works. There's no doubt you know he was a genius to be able to do that but the actual music of itself it, it, it just always seems so light and fluffy and so insubstantial i think the one major work of his that i have great love for is a requiem and ironically because it doesn't sound like he wrote it but if, <laughs> if there are any mozart fans out there don't send me the hate mail or maybe do send me the hate mail i don't get enough feedback so whatever you want i don't know anyway but... uh, don't don't send him hate mail send him recommendations and oh, you right. know yes yes even there you go that yes that's why i have you on the show to say sensible things like that yeah sensible things me um but just to you know i i, I can see where you where you're going with mozart but there's there's there is so much music that's by him that out there that's just it's incredible it's not all the the fluffy twiddly d too many notes my dear mozart sort of stuff you know to, to quote a terrible film uh, was the film called amadeus you're not saying amadeus was a terrible film sure if, if anybody out there hasn't watched amadeus then don't uh, <laughs> you're, you're banned from this program, Chef Smith. We, I want to tackle Amadeus on the See Here podcast. I, it's probably the best thing to associate with Mozart's name. He's, oh, he's just a, he's a little twit with an, with an annoying laugh. That's probably not far off. But um, uh, you're probably coming from the point of view that you like Rock Me Amadeus by Foul Cow, don't you? Know, whatever his name was. Just get on with it, all right? Get on with the Marriage of Figaro, all right? The Marriage of Figaro. Well, yes, it's uh, it's it's basically farce set to music. I've, I think, chosen the... I think I gave you the overture to play under the, the discussion because there's, there's just something... I can't express myself in musical terms. I don't know about semi, demi, hemi, quavers and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, quavers are cheese and onion crisps. But uh, there's something in that in the arrangement and the, the sort of fast playing on that overture that just suggests comic antics. And uh, the whole... Uh, I was lucky enough to see a production of it in Melbourne very recently and... I was expecting to do the, you know, this might be okay and there'll be points where I nod off. And, but I was absolutely riveted, absolutely riveted. And it's, you know, it's not been hailed as the greatest production ever. It's not been hailed as the worst either. But I thought it was just absolutely amazing. You know, the human voice can do that. That's that's bits that, that get me, that the, the human voice can do that. And woven in amongst the instruments and almost being used as an instrument at some point and then being, you know, then being the star of the show again unaccompanied and then woven back in with the the instruments again just incredible stuff and you know again you know I, I started by saying that I fell asleep during Don Giovanni and I'm not like you for 45 minutes I, I missed the whole thing yeah, I, I, I was gone and it was a Saturday afternoon performance yeah, I was I was gone and shortly after that I think probably as punishment my the first ex-wife took me to see a production of Beethoven's Fidelio I have little memory of that one as well, apart from being prodded from behind because I was snoring. So I've always, I've always remind, me not, remind me not to go with you two uh, to the opera. Oh, I've, I've always associated it with just you know dull, boring, horrible. But it was actually really, it's really great fun, and I've you know I've looked up famous bits and not so famous bits from from other operas, and I'm I'm starting to get to know that. And you know I'm just a bit annoyed that the the Melbourne Opera Company won't won't do all the famous ones all the time, so I can go and see them whenever I want. You know. Well, actually, I think for over you know what I've 
seen like in the paper and all that it seems to be that they recycle the same ones over and over and over again you didn't see Carmen this year don't worry two years down the track it'll be on or you want to it's Fidelio ironically enough that hasn't been performed in about 20-30 years or something like that in Melbourne but but uh, you know Marriage of Figaro you, know, you saw it you really liked it don't worry well, you'll see it again in three years it seems to be they recycle mm. the same ones yeah, well, I definitely hope so, because <laughs> uh, you know, from a selfish point of view, I, I haven't seen them. I look forward to look forward to getting to them. Um, I mean, we didn't have we didn't have expensive tickets. I believe you can pay an awful lot of money. Which, uh, yeah, which is why I haven't gone in thirty years or something like that. They're yeah. shock, shockingly, they'd give rock concerts a run for their money. I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we were we were in the building for about fifty bucks, which was. Uh, oh really? Which, yeah. Up, up, up the top, it was uh, it, it was perfectly good. You could see all that you needed to see. And you could you could read the the subtitles. Quite, I, was, quite I was under the impression that you had to pay like you know two hundred dollars to get into the nosebleeds. I didn't. No, no. I think they've uh, I think they've realised that they're not going to be able to finance it at that level anymore. So. Uh, there you go. So, so yeah, really, really, really enjoying my my opera. So as as regards, you know, my classical music voyage of discovery, there's still a lot of areas that I've yet to break into, but I'm I'm getting there. I'm not. I don't get the sort of high liturgical choral stuff quite yet. There's little snippets and bits and pieces of it. I do love the Jenkins Mass for Peace, which was, I think, written in the 2000s. Um, that's, that's, I, do, I do really enjoy bits of that. Um, and, and some of Bach's more uh, liturgical stuff. Other bits of it just still leave me utterly cold. So, I mean, I guess just, just to round this off, you know, I've had such such great fun and continue having such great fun listening to and reading about and getting involved in classical music that, you know, there's maybe even hope that one day, somehow, some way. I'll get into jazz. I'll be there. I'll be waiting for you. I'm a... oh, you'll, be, you'll be the first one I call. Oh, good. Good man. Good man. Maybe I'll put some uh, recommendations on to you. And you know, say, so, right, listen to this. You fell asleep. All right, come back to me in a month. Okay, try listening to this. <laughs> we'll see where we go. All right. Okay, so Eric, the, the, the floor is yours, your final selection. So this is probably the most mainstream pick as far as albums you're going to see on best of the, of the year lists from critics. And that is... Jason Isabel's record, Something More Than Free. This is how you make yourself vanish into nothing. And this is how you make yourself worthy of the love that she gave to you back when you didn't own a beautiful thing. And this is how you make yourself call your mother And this is how you make yourself closer to your brother Remember him back when he was small enough to help you sing You thought God was an architect Now you know he's something like a pipe bomb ready to blow so he's a former uh, member of the Drive-By Truckers, who are a band that I, I like some of their stuff and don't like some of their stuff. To me, he is simply, as a solo artist, the, the next step of the kind of music played by the Gaslight Anthem or any of those kinds of bands playing just this great country roots rock, you know, with, with a, definitely a pop edge. And especially the song 24 Frames, which was the single, is just, I, I just could not stop listening to it this year. He's got, a, I guess you could say, plaintive voice and... Uh, 
mm. not overproduced, and just just there's something about that record that I just keep coming back to. Now I'd seen the CD in a, in a few places around Melbourne, but I hadn't heard any of the music, so I didn't really know anything about him. But did sort of you know, read a couple of articles, and he was you know sort of like a I don't know if he's a critic's darling or anything like that. But you know people were speaking of him in, in high praise, so um, I, I find it interesting that yeah, it's come on, on to your list. And association with the drive-by truckers, a band which I guess like you, I wouldn't necessarily well, I wouldn't say I've had a love-hate relationship, but I I understand why people like them, but for some reason it never appealed to me. I think our, um, our good friend John Sturridge was a big drive-by truckers fan. Yeah, <laughs> Not right. yeah, John uh, John turned me into the drive-by truckers as well. I mean, I must admit, I really, really, really like the drive-by truckers. And uh, this Jason Isbell record was nearly made it onto my list as well. I think it's I think it's fantastic. Um, but I, there's one of his old songs, "I Ain't Afraid No More." I can't remember what album it's on, which is one that I play an awful, awful lot. I think Eric got in well with this sort of plaintive Americana sort of bordering on pop. Yeah, he's really, really great. And, you know, Morris, if your budget can extend to it, he's playing in March out here in Melbourne. <laughs> I need to listen. I need to be convinced. I, I think that's uh, maybe the next tour. Maybe the next tour. But uh, <laughs> uh, the, the budget's gone for the absolutely have to season. You know, I, um, I really blew the budget a, a week ago or so by getting tickets for uh, Gillian Welsh and Dave Rawlings. But, you know, that was a no-brainer. I had to do that but anyway sorry tell us some more about jason isbell and why it appeals to you uh, I've got, that's that's really it i just think he's uh he's kind of got his finger on on the pulse of what's going on not not necessarily politically or socially but you know uh as, as far as the mood of the country and uh people's day-to-day lives i mean this is i'm gonna say classic country but not classic country when you think of the production or the style it's in 50 years this will be remembered the way that hank williams is now i think oh wow that's really high praise well it is very high praise but it you know no one's gonna be hank williams but he'll be thought of as you know the, the this generation's version of a johnny cash or waylon jennings or any number of of those classic artists whose careers extend far beyond the 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 time period that their style was popular or dominant. Would you uh, agree with that, Jeff? Would he be like this generation, Steve Earle? Maybe would would that be a good thing? Would you want I th- to? I think he's. I think he's certainly in the discussion. I don't think. Uh, I, I don't think Steve Earle's finished being Steve Earle yet. But <laughs> I think no. I think you, Eric's got it. There's there's just something about his his observation. There's something about the way he, you know he he communicates the gritty, heartfelt sort of interpretation of what's going on. He's he's really yeah. He's really right there. Um, I hope he gets a lot more a lot more exposure and. Uh, you know, hope also that, that that leads to the truckers getting a bit more exposure through you know his his six year connection with them. He 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 was married to the former bass player as well. So, all right, okay, well there you go. There's uh, Eric and Jeff's five most beloved albums or recordings of 2015 and beyond. So we come to the end of episode. Do we, do we have time for some? Oh, oh, sorry, my, my, my apologies. Yes, please, if you've got any, uh, any honorable, honorable mentions. mentions. Yes, absolutely. Please go for it. So um, <clears throat> Jason Isabel knocked uh, Whitey Morgan and his Sonic Ranch album off of my list, which is uh, more country stuff. The Whitey Morgan's very much a Waylon Jennings kind of a guy, and he's from Flint, which is about 40 minutes from here. I've yet to see him alive, but I've enjoyed all of his recordings. The Barbecue Barbies, all over you record. The Barbecue Barbies, let's see. My brother danced with the drummer on my birthday back in... <laughs> 2006 when we were in Finland seeing Radio Birdman. Uh-huh. They they are the very 
rock pop band from Finland. They're all women. One of the former members of the Ultra Bimbos is in the band. Oh, nice. And uh, very much more slickly rock pop than the Ultra Bimbos were. But I really enjoy them. There's also a band called Motor Bunny that does the same style of music that are a uh, side band of the Love Me Nots that I'm also enjoying. Patricia Vaughn, who is a Mexican-American singer, songwriter. Her cousin is the film director, Robert Rodriguez. And uh, she's put out several albums of alt country kind of stuff that I enjoy. And then lastly, I have to give a shout out to, not to get overly political, but with what's going on in America, all I can say is the suicidal tendencies, and especially their record Lights, Camera, Revolution from, I believe it's 89, 1990. It's just spot on about what's wrong with with, uh, what's going on in the world. And more than just this record, their observations, their social observations are just, it's like predicting the future. It's, it's scary. And they're a great band, and I've been rediscovering them. I think, as is often said, hard political times, hard economic times make great for, make for great art. If that's, if that's the case, be prepared for a spate of really great albums <laughs> to come out over the Let's next hope. few years. Let's hope. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're all your honourable mentions? That's honourable mentions, yep. Jeff, did you uh, have ones that you yeah. wanted to mention? I'd like to throw in throw in three just quickly, if I may. Yes. Um, Brian Wilson released an album this year, which I listened to once, and I thought, that's really good. I'll have to get back and listen to that again. And there was also a Ringo Starr album. I think it was this year. I wouldn't, wouldn't quote myself on that. But also, I, I don't know if we talk about collections. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. Go for it. Go for it. Whatever, there was, whatever you want. There was a, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a Susie and the Banshees collection came out oh, this wow. year. Which you know really took me back uh, thirty odd years, I think, since I first heard Susie and the Banshees and their their particular brand of of weirdness. So I, I'm uh, I'm old enough to remember when Hong Kong Garden and <laughs> and their version of Dear Prudence were were actually current. Yeah, it's a quite a good version of Dear Prudence, I have to say. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came out the same time as there was a, a UK band called the Wurzels. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, who did a, a, a version of Dear Prudence at the same time. And let's just say their version of Dear Prudence was dreadful. Um, they're a, a West Country, you know, Farmer Giles Village Idiot kind of band. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had anyone on this podcast describe a band in that fashion. Check them out. You'll love them. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> But yeah, no, that's 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 pretty much it I, for me. I, I didn't do an awful lot of listening to new stuff this year. I was I was had my head in the seventeen eighteen hundreds. Right. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll look forward to seeing where you are at the end of uh, two thousand and sixteen. Well, Morris, I've only just discovered Miles Davis. Have you heard of him? You know, stranger things have happened. I wouldn't have picked that. You'd have gone down the classical rabbit hole this year. So you know, th- there's hope. No, that that is hope. I do own the Cool by Miles Davis. Uh, oh, um, birth, birth of the Cool. Yeah, no, it's a great. Yeah, I've, I, I do. I do have that on CD. And uh... with that all said and done, so um, I'd just like to uh, thank both of you for being on the show, and, and also give an extended thanks to uh, yourself, Eric, for all the wonderful work that you've put in this year with both the album I love segments and the compilation editions. So uh, there'll be more of that to come in 2016. Yes, uh, there will, and thank you for having me. Uh, it's been absolutely. You know, a thrill because you know, once again, it's you've extended my listening, but also as well just the fact that you know if the people out there they know it's not all about just what I want to recommend. You know, I'm I'm really happy to have someone who will do a regular segment on stuff beyond mm-hmm. beyond my own recommendations. So um, I'm really really happy about that. And you know, just a, a final shout out to 
anyone who hosted a show with me this year, uh, you all know who you are. Thank you very, very much for your time and contributions. A thanks in advance to anyone who's going to do a show with me in 2016. Generally, these shows, I tend to put out one episode a month, but although the last few months I've been doing you know, two, I managed to have a couple of specials here and there, so we may or may not get to episode 100 in 2016. If not, then it'll certainly be in the early stages of 2017, but you never know. That, that'll be something of a milestone for the program. We've been going for you know quite a long time. I know a lot of podcasts do an episode a week, so uh, to get to 100 doesn't take them very, very long. It's taken me considerably longer time, but, you know, that's okay. I've got a lifetime potentially to do this, but, you know, getting to 100 would be is going to be a nice milestone. I'm looking forward to it. Mm. So anyway, but yeah, thanks to anyone who's done a show with me this year. And if you're listening, if you've been listening on a you know, regular or semi-regular basis, my gratitude to you, the listeners, for uh, the faith that you, you know, you've kept up with uh, listening to these programs, because if you didn't listen, I'd just be talking to you know one other person on the other end of a Skype connection which has been really quite a lot of fun in its own right but ultimately it's a podcast and you know I want people to listen so thank you very very much for those of you who've taken the time to uh, listen to these shows I'm really much in gratitude to you and to a lot of my fellow podcasters out there you also know who you are for the support that you've given me and the advice that you've given me and how to make these shows improved so um, yep that's that's all the uh, the thanks and if um, but by the time this comes out it will have uh, Hanukkah will have been over Christmas will have been over I'm not sure whether Festivus is over because Seinfeld never actually defined that but uh, <laughs> we're, we're heading towards New Year's Eve by the time that this comes out so please play it safe if you're going to get drunk then stay where you are don't go out on the roads be nice to each other be kind to each other and let's hope that we have a better world in 2016 because there's been some rather horrible goings on in 2015. Let's hope it all improves. So my final uh, thanks once again to Eric and Jeff for joining me and uh, we'll speak to you again in 2016. So uh, look after yourselves and uh, just continue to uh, love those albums. Cheers. It's NFL draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.